congregation has been very gracious to me and um, it showed, showed my family a, lot, a ton of love and care and, and we appreciate you guys so much. Um, I have never felt this list, but I want to tell you I have seen churches that have thought this list was true. So um, I am glad to not be a part of the, this church who, who is looking for the perfect pastor. After hundreds of years, the perfect pastor has been found. He is the church elder who will please everyone. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin but never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 8 in the morning to 10 at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to sweeping. He makes $400 a week, gives $100 a week to the church, drives a late model car, buys lots of books, wears fine clothes, and has a nice family. Do the math. He always stands ready to contribute to every other good cause too and to help panhandlers who drop by the church on their way to somewhere. He is 36 years old and has been preaching for 40 years. <laughs> he is tall on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way, and handsome. He has eyes of blue or brown to fit the occasion and wears his hair parted in the middle, left side dark and straight, right side brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face because he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing non-members, and is always found in his study if he is needed. Unfortunately, he burnt himself out and died at the age of 32. <laughs> so... The perfect pastor has been found. Amen. What, what a blessing. There was another announcement. Tonight, the men's group, um, there are two other announcements. The men's group, we, we're doing one on Thursday evening at 4.30, and if you can't come on that night, we're doing another one on Sunday, the same group. Uh, the same video series at 4.30 today. So if, if um, even if you just have missed the one, you do want to do it on Thursdays, but haven't been there yet, come tonight, uh, 4.30 this afternoon, watch the video, and then you can plug right into the other group if you want to do that. Otherwise, we'll keep doing the Sunday at 4.30. And um, yeah, I'll be here. Uh, Mickey and I will b both be here today at 4.30 and see if there's anyone who needs to either make up or wants to do the cl uh, this study. It's really good. It's called Kingdom Man. And um, this nation needs kingdom men speaking into it. We're not going to go into political event, current and political events, but if you've been watching the news this week, crazy things are happening. Uh, look, what's, look up some stories that are happening in Texas among a husband and wife and a seven-year-old. The other one. Um, there is a card, a nether card out in the in the foyer here for Joe Hall and um, uh, Robin Rogers made that she's actually home sick but Robin made that that card up for Joe Joe has been having um, dizzy spells for months he's hardly been able to get out and we have missed him dearly and um, he is he's starting to get out a little bit now and so um, but we want to wish him just well and and 
um, tell him we miss him. This card is not a get well card. This is a we miss you card, okay? So that's where we're going to keep it. Just do we love you, we miss you, and we care for you. So sign that card, and we're going to send it home because we really do love Joe and Ruthann Hall and be in prayer. Um, you know, she's carrying a little bit more weight around the house. Thank you, Sherry, for being here with Mom. <laughs> and uh, so we love them. So make sure you sign that card. Amen? All right. I'm going to preach for 20 minutes and then 12 more. <laughs> Just so we make sure we get it. But I'll try to be done at 11. We're in the book of Exodus. Exodus, in case you didn't know. Amen? <laughs> We're making our way through. We, we only spent two weeks in chapter one, and so we should be in here for a while. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus two to, to, uh, this week. I'm going to actually just do two this week. We'll be in three next week. I'm excited about both this week and next. Um, next week is the burning bush. Some of you never read your Bible. Uh, you know about the Moses in the burning bush, so you'll be like, okay, this one I know. All right. We're going to be in Exodus two this morning. Let's pray. God, we are here um, for you to speak to us through your word. And I pray that I would, as I would uh, speak this morning, that your words would minister to every heart and mind. God, I pray that you would bring things to our attention, God, that would encourage us, would challenge us, would help us to grow closer to you, um, to be challenged to live for you. God, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so, so Exodus is the story of the Exodus, of the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, primarily Jacob, who was renamed Israel, who got rescued going to Egypt because of the famine that was happening in the land. His family has been in the land of Egypt now, and Joseph, who had saved the people because he became Pharaoh's right-hand man, um, they died, and the Pharaoh died that knew them, and the, and, and the Bible says that a new Pharaoh took in who didn't know Joseph in chapter 1. Moses is going to come on the scene here in just a minute. I'm going to read from uh, Exodus chapter 2. And a man of the house of Levi, remember Levi is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, or Israel, went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi, so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Okay, catch up for those who are just coming in. She has to hide him because the Pharaoh is, is a horrible man. He is, he is the Hitler of the day. He is wanting to kill all of the Hebrew boys. So much that he first tried to have the, the midwives kill them when they were being born. This is kind of like partial birth abortion. Like as soon as they're born on the birth store, kill them. That didn't work. So then he gave a decree to the entire land. If you see a Hebrew child, throw him in the river. None about you. I mean, we got, we, we've got some babies in here. In fact, we got a brand new baby, I think. Hey, Jeff, you bring your baby? It's awesome. How old and what did you have? You had, it was a girl, I thought so. So you, so you'd be safe. Got a five-week-old girl. Congratulations to Jeff and Mary. Can you imagine celebrating the birth of a baby boy 
and then going, but if someone finds us, they're going to throw the baby in the river. For us, it'd be the lake. I just, it just boggles the mind. So this is the condition. So this, this woman and man, they, they get married. Now, I want to actually talk a little bit about that because the whole nation of Israel is under persecution by the Pharaoh. They're killing the children. Now, this hasn't been happening long because we're going to find out that Moses actually has an older brother who made it. And so this decree has been recently. And rather than stopping and not getting married under this oppression, they still look for the future because God said that they'd be fruitful. So they're even, by marrying, are having faith. By having children, they're having faith that God is bigger than Pharaoh. And now check this out. It says, she bore a son. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. The word there in, in the Hebrew means like goodly, but there's an understanding that it's, it's like there was something about him. It wasn't just like, oh, he's, he's cute. Let's keep him. Okay? I mean, you could almost feel that way. Well, he was cute. Or if it wasn't cute, they would have gotten rid of him. No, there's a, a bigger thing going on. They saw him, and he's like, he is a special, good, godly child. We're going to do everything we can. So they hit a baby for three months, which is a hard thing to do. Babies cry, but their lungs aren't super big it, it, when they're first born, and so they, they must have just kept it. But it, by three months, they realized they couldn't keep him any longer. The verse 3, when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it in asphalt and pitch, and some of your uh, Bibles have some different words there, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. Now, it's interesting because remember the decree is that all males should be thrown into the river. So she's actually following the rules, you know, in a sense. She's putting her child in the river, but that's not what that meant. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. By the way, does anyone know who we're talking about yet? This, this guy, this baby boy? There we go. This is baby Moses. Okay, so his sister who was standing far off is the one we're going to meet a little later on. It's Miriam. Miriam's the older sister. Aaron's three years old, older than Moses. So we got a little three-year-old, and Miriam's a little bit older than that. Watching, it says, his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the, to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the, mark, the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Okay, I'm going to stop. I won't go there again. So one of Pharaoh's daughter is down by the, the river, and a lot of scholars think that the Pharaoh's probably Ramses II. We don't know for sure because the timing is a little hard to understand. Some people have one opinion. But the daughter of Pharaoh, we don't know what kind of a daughter this is. This is kind of an extra thing for us. Ramses II had between 42 and 55 boys and about the same number of girls. He was a busy beaver. So he had nearly 100 children. Josh and Sarah ain't got nothing <laughs> on Pharaoh. <laughs> okay? So he's got 40 or 50 daughters. Now, 
they're from slaves or they're concubines, they're from different people. We don't know which daughter this is. Without understanding that, you're like, wow, man, the daughter of Pharaoh. I mean, this is, it could have been a prominent daughter and it could have been a not prominent daughter. It is a daughter of Pharaoh. She goes out there and she sees this ark, sends one of her maidens to, to, to get the baby and she's down there bathing and possibly worshiping because they worshiped up, upwards of 2,000 gods in Egypt. Lots and lots of gods. The gods had different roles. There was, a, there was multiple gods of the Nile. The Nile was a huge um, uh, asset to the Egyptians so that many gods that were the god of the Nile for different portions, they had the sun god. They had, they had every god you can imagine. And so she might have been out. She was bathing. She might have been down there worshiping. And anyhow, she, she sees this ark. She, she has her handmaiden get it, and she opens it up, and she sees this child crying, and she has compassion. Now, this is daughter of Pharaoh who knows the rules. And there are some neat stories in the Midrash. Have you, are you familiar with any of those stories, Antoine? Uh, the, the Midrash is the Jewish writings about this extra biblical. And boy, th- it was fun to read some of these stories um, that she might have been actually a convert um, to um, converting to Judaism at this time and, uh, and things like that. That's a lot of speculation, so we won't go into any of that. But no matter what happens, here's the daughter of Pharaoh who knows the decree of Pharaoh to say kill all the kids and yet she had compassion on him and so she kept him and she was going to raise him as her own the sister this brings a lot of speculation up so the sister sees what's happening and goes here's my opportunity I mean uh, what, what how how obvious is this walking along the Nile uh, oh wow what do you have there a baby it's a Hebrew baby would you like me to go get a wet nurse for you <laughs> you know I mean I don't know if Pharaoh's daughter is is ignorant or if she is picking up on this already going I think I know what's happening we don't know anyhow the the idea of getting a woman to nurse a child was very very common in this uh, in this setting um, especially for royalty and nobility for a royal woman to nurse her own baby um, was actually un- more uncommon than it was common and so they would get people uh, to nurse their baby for them and Fa- so the the Miriam asked and Pharaoh's daughter says uh, said to her go so the maiden went and called the child's mother and this cool so we're gonna learn is Jochebed Miriam goes and gets mom and says hey mom you get to still nurse Moses it doesn't have a name yet you get to still nurse the baby so she actually brings Moses not Miriam doesn't actually even go and live in, in the castle necessarily. they bring the child back to mom and mom nurses him until he's weaned now um, we don't know how old that is but culturally two to three years old some cultures nurse their babies up until five, six, seven years old in this time. Uh, most scholars don't think that probably happened, but, and I'm glad it doesn't because if you're five years old and you can walk up to your mom and say, Mom, I'm hungry, you shouldn't be nursing anymore. Just, just a side note. That's just my opinion. <laughs> we won't go on any longer with that. So check this out. She called... So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me to the mother, and I will give you your wages. So 
Moses' mother gets her baby back to continue raising him, nursing him, and she's getting paid for it. In the midst of oppression of a pharaoh who wants to kill all the baby boys, Miriam is now getting paid to raise her baby boy. God is good. And God has a plan for Moses. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now, I, I got to move a lot, a lot quicker. The name Moses is um, close to a Hebrew word for drawn out of the water. The thing is, we don't even un- know for sure if the f- uh, Egyptian's daughter would have spoken Hebrew or not. And why would she give her child a, a Hebrew name? The word Moses is very similar to the Egyptian word that simply means child. Okay. Um, Ramses, R-A-M-E-S-E-S. Meses is the son of or child of Ra. So she may have given him an Egyptian name that then the, the, the Hebrew says, yeah, but this was also God saying, I pulled you out. So there's an interesting thing. This would also say that the name was very generic if it was. It was either part of his name or just like, oh, I'm just going to call you child. We don't know. Just a little interesting side note. So Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh, and that means he's educated. That means he's trained for war. He probably speaks multiple languages. He would be trained in the art uh, to speak, to write, to, to do everything because he was raised in, the, in a nobility home. We, we, I think I told you a couple weeks ago, if you've watched the movies, you've got to get all those things out of your mind because they plant things that are true that may not be true. We don't know for sure if or when Moses learned of his identity. Uh, we lean towards, I think he knew who he was. I think he knew who he was, was growing up, but that he was being raised uh, as Pharaoh's daughter. So sometime much later, verse 11. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So we believe he knew it was his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and he saw no one, and he killed the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men, his own people, were fighting. And he said to the one, Who did the wrong? Why are you striking your companion? And they both said to him, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. This is really interesting. I can't go into the details. This Pharaoh is seeking to kill Moses because of the event of of Moses killing another Egyptian. I actually lean towards that this Egyptian never liked Moses, and he was just waiting for an opportunity, and he found it because he, he did not like the Hebrews, and he probably wanted nothing, but he wouldn't do that against his daughter. That's just my opinion. Pharaoh heard of this matter. He sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. And we're going to stop there. And I'm going to kind of go back and catch us up here in the message. There's so many great, great things and points happening. Moses is going to become the redeemer of his people, the rescuer. In a few weeks, as we get actually, I hate to say the C word, 
closer to Christmas. <sighs> I love Christmas, but I'm not ready for it. <sighs> As we get closer, I'm going to actually preach a message about Moses and the similarities between Moses and Christ. Okay, so I'm not going to get into that this morning. But Moses is a type of Christ at this time. He's going to take, rescue his people. He's going to deliver them. He's going to become their redeemer. And so I don't know if he knows this deep down that this is his job, that this is what God has for him, um, but he's got a call on him, and it was called to him, on him from birth, that he would set his people free. This morning, I want to focus on that aspect of this part of the story, that Moses is there to set the people free. And I want to really highlight two principles um, in this and then have a few points going on. One, in order to be set free, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. In order to be set free, someone has to trust God. In order to be set free, someone has to trust God. Moses' parents trusted God as they married and had children, kept the boy hidden for three months, trusted God as they put him into the river that something good would happen to him. Someone has to trust God in order for somebody to be set free. Now, here's the awesome thing. Sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it's not the person. Moses is absolutely incapable of trusting God. He's three months old. So sometimes somebody else has to do the trusting for you. And I want to tell you, all of you in this room have had somebody who's trusted God for you. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet some saints who I don't even know who prayed for me before I was saved. They prayed for our whole family because God picked us off one by one and we were raised in a non-godly Christian home. And one by one, God got us. And I believe it's because somebody was trusting God for us. Somebody was praying. I want, I want to encourage you that there is somebody who's praying for you. In fact, one of the things I want to say is that look around the room, look around the people in your row, start praying for them. I want to add that when you get to know the people, you guys almost always sit in the same spot. I mean, you know, we are just such creatures of habit. I can, I, well, I come and set up the chairs a lot of the time. I like to do that because as I set up the chairs, I pray for you by name because I know where you sit. Okay? I love it. I love it when we have visitors who come in and take your seat. I love to see your look. When you walk in to go sit where you normally sit and somebody's in your spot, and you're like, what do I do now? Look around at the people who are there. Begin to pray for them. And I want to, I'm going to up the ante. When they're not there, call them. When they come back, let's say somebody's not here this week, and you go, you know, they're usually right in front of you, right behind me, right next to me. Next week when they're back, say, I missed you last week. Let them know. This is a, this is assignment. Bad, bad assignment because I forgot where I was at. Praying. There's people praying for you. Here's another part. Be the person who trusts God for someone else. Trust God for them. Pray for them. There's somebody who's trusted God for you, who's prayed for you. You are here today. Even if you are, don't know who Jesus is, you're just here because somebody dragged you. You're just here to check this whole thing out. Somebody's prayed for you. They've trusted God for you. And thank God for that. 
And now as you, as you become a Christian, as you become part of the family of God, you need to say, I need to trust God for other people. In order to be set free, someone must trust God. Number two, in order to be set free, I cannot do it in my own power. And, and I know that there's a lot of people in this room who, st- who need to be set free. You know, and, and, and right now people are like, oh, he's judging me. No, 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 I know that we have to be set free. Some of you might have to be set free from, from things that we might say are big. Big things like drugs and alcohol aren't big. Nothing's too big for God. In fact, I'll tell you some things that are harder than drugs and alcohol, and that's fear. Fear of people, fear of yourself, fear of failure. I know Christians who got delivered from alcohol and drugs, and yet they still live in fear, and they still live in low self-esteem. We all need to be set free from some things, and you cannot be set free by your own power. As Moses, we just read from 11 on to the end of, of 3 is the story of Moses going out and finding the, the Hebrew and the Egyptian fighting. And, and he's angry at that. He's angry. He has compassion on his people who are oppressed. And I don't know what happened all those years. I think it was building up in him because he, we, this is the first time we see it in action. But he's angry, and so he kills the Egyptian who's oppressing his person. You know what happened? He had emotions. Any of you have any of those hiding somewhere? You know, God gave you those emotions, but you're not supposed to live by them. Moses let his emotions rise up so strong that he actually commits this biggest mistake of his life, and he kills the Egyptian. And this is the thing that brings him out. It is not God's will that he kills that man. That's not how God would have him do it. I I just don't, don't buy into that. He felt bad for his brethren. He got mad at the problem. He cared, but he went over the line. And I know none of you have ever done that. So I'll move on, right? You've never gone over the line in your emotions, in your anger, whatever it was. He was fully led by his emotions. The Bible says that we are not to be sensual persons. The word sensual means sense ruled. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit, not by the emotions. God gave them to us to warn us, to help us, but we are not supposed to be led by them. We're not supposed to be ruled by them. They're valuable, but they're not enough. Our emotions offer short-term solutions, don't they? I mean, think about all the times that you've allowed your emotions to get the better part of you. And, and, and you just went with it because they say, listen, just get mad and yell and do whatever it is. And you go, that sounds like a really good thing. Short-term solution to long-term problems. Moses acted by his emotions. F.B. Meyer, classic writer of the, a book called The Life of Moses, said, the mere impulse of pity, he had compassion on his people and anger, would never have been enough to bear him through the desert march. He needed more and he wasn't acting in that moment enough. Church, we need to stop depending and walking on our emotions. James Dobson wrote a book um, and he was called Emotions. Can you trust them? Did anyone read that? Okay. It was a good book, I imagine. Everything by James is good. I, I bet you I can save you the reading. Emotions. Can you trust them? No. We, you know how quick, that was really quick. You guys all answered pretty quickly. No. We all know it, but we, we do it. We trust them. Emotions will make you run. 
when you should stay, and sometimes will make you stay when you should run. When we're emotional, we do things that our rational being wouldn't do. Pastor Tom Holliday said this, one blow struck when the time is right is worth a thousand struck in, in premature eagerness. And why do we do that? Because we're emotional. We're just going to do it. Just feels good, do it. We're going to do it. But one blow struck when the time is right. The time is right when we're being led in the spirit. We're being led by that, that brain that actually God gave us and we're sensitive to the spirit. Listen, we need to live the principles of God's word, not just the emotions. I need to move. We need to live by the hand of the eternal rather than just the emotion of the moment because emotions don't set us free. Look what else Moses do does here. He gets angry and then he kills the Egyptian out of his anger. He uses his own strength to do it. And the next day, in his own strength, he tries to lead his people. Goes out there and tries to be the diplomat. Why are you doing this? He's trying to walk into the, rule, the role of redeemer by his own strength. And he's a failure. You cannot trust your own strength. Human strength will not set you free. Human strength will not set you free. The 12th step. AA's 12 step, NA's 12 steps. You are powerless over your situation. There is a power that is greater than you and you need to rely on that power. They just don't quite get the next part of that power is God. It's not a doorknob. But they have it right. You are powerless. You cannot rely on your own strength. There is a God and you have to rely on His strength. Moses was the redeemer that his people needed. But he was trusting in his own strength. He actually risked everything in that moment. He put his life on the line. There's an amazing character thing right there that says, I want to do this. I want to serve my people. He knew this was a bad idea. But he ends up rejected, frightened, and defeated because he trusted in his own strength. And so what does he do after that? He runs away. He runs, which is what most of us do or have done at times. Something comes up, we get scared, and we run. We run from jobs. We run from relationships. We run from city to city to city, church to church to church. We escape. Escape does not set you free. Escape doesn't set you free. The great redeemer does what most of us would do. He runs away. And he goes and he finds himself running and he plops down by a well. He, I don't even know what he, he didn't even know what he was doing. He was just running. And I think we can relate with that at times. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just running. Sometimes we run from God. Run anywhere. Run anywhere. Can't go to church. Can't read my Bible. I'm just going to run. We run to the bar. We run to our addiction. We physically run. He sits down by a well. He's supposed to be setting the people free. Instead, he's sitting by a well. 
The way of freedom is not by escape. God actually calls his people to be strong and courageous. The most common command in the Bible, we would think probably it's love, right? Love. It's do not be afraid. Do not fear is the strongest, most common commandment in the Bible. Don't fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you. I'll be with you. We're afraid. We really are. We're afraid of making the wrong decision. We're afraid of fof and fop, you know, the, the two common fears. Fear of failure and fear of people. We're, we, we, those things paralyze most of us. We don't try things because of fear of failure and fear of people. You know, I, I, I read, um, I actually, I heard this one. You know, sometimes I read something I heard. I heard this one, that, that there was a study done, and most people, as they're aging in life, looking back at their life and their regrets, okay? So I'm not going to ask about how many people have regrets. We, pro- we all have them. We shouldn't live in regrets. Most people do not regret the things that they did as they age. I'm like, really? And then it went on to say, most people regret the things that they did not do. And I'm like, yep. I didn't take that opportunity. I didn't go for that job. I didn't risk my heart with that relationship. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. It's amazing that sometimes the things that we do affect our lives, but as we age, those things seem to have gone away more than the things that we didn't do. I didn't spend enough time with my kids. I didn't start saving for retirement. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And why don't we? We're afraid. But God wants his people to not be afraid. He wants us to walk in boldly and go for the things that he is calling us to do. And it doesn't matter what age you start at, you can start today to begin to take the things that God is leading you in strength and stop being afraid and say, I'm going to walk in because escape, running, doesn't set you free. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Follow him. If he tells you to do something, do it. Your, your emotions are stopping you. I'm afraid. This and that. Be led by the Spirit of God. If you're ever going to break free, you have to make a stand. If you're going to have success in God, you have to make a stand. Sometimes it's a stand in in setting up your boundaries. Say, no, I'm not going to allow you to control me any longer. Even in in marriages, I'm not going to allow you to abuse our family any longer. If you're going to act that way, I'm going to leave until you stop acting that way. I'm I'm not saying divorce here. But it's okay for a a spouse to say, you will not abuse me or our children anymore. Absolutely. It's not just okay. That is what God is requiring of you. Be strong. Be courageous. Now, Moses ran to the desert. And he meets his wife with a lovely name, Zipporah. Probably called her Zippy or something. 
and he gets married. Goes into the house of, of the priest of Midian. Now Midian is, the, uh, is, is one of the sons of Abraham through Keturah. So he's actually of the line of Abraham. So he's probably familiar with the God of Abraham. And, he's, and so Moses spends time in that house and he becomes a, a shepherd until God brings him back. And we're going to talk about that next week. So here's God's amazing thing. He was led by his emotions. He tried to walk in his own strength and he ran away. Failure, failure, failure. And yet in the middle of his running away in the desert, God finds him. And he tells him, it's not over yet, baby. And it's not over for you. It's not over for me. If we will listen to the Lord God, he will find us. Actually, we say, you know, he will find you. You know what? He already knows where you're at. And what some people ask, have you found Christ? You know what? Christ isn't lost. Christ doesn't need to be found. He knows us. He knows right where you're at. And he's reaching out. Now, sometimes, because of our choices, he might let us sit too long, in the, what we think is too long in the desert. Don't give up. Start pressing into him. Start looking to him. And when it's right time, he's going to call you. He's going to pull you back. I'm really excited about next week. God speaks to Moses in the desert. And he used Moses' time in the desert to prepare him. He became a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart. He needed that shepherd's heart if he was going to lead the people of Israel. He learned persistence having to keep watching the sheep and every day after day doing the same thing. He learned gentleness. Again, F.B. Meyer said this, in the desert our vision clears. The silt drops from the current of our life. Sometimes we're out in the desert, we can get a, a clear look. Paul had to spend time in the desert himself. If you're in the desert this morning, don't give up. God hasn't given up on you. Start looking to God. And he will redeem you and he will call you back to the purpose that he has for you. Forty years doing it his way. The next 40 years in the desert. Now we're going to go pretty soon. He's going to have the next 40 years leading the people in the, in the, in the, towards the promised land. Wherever you're at today, let the Lord minister to you. You don't have to be led by your emotions anymore. Don't trust in your own strength. And don't run away anymore. Press into him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be strong. But we're weak. I thank you, God, that the word says that when we are weak, you are made strong. In our weakness, your strength is perfected in us, God. Father, we don't want to run away any longer. We don't want to trust our emotions or even our own thinking or our own strength. But we want to look to you and trust you to lead us, to call us, to guide us. And the call that you've had upon our lives since we were a baby, because it says that you know the plans you have for us. God, we want that to come to fruition. And Lord, for the mistakes that we've made, forgive us. Forgive us. And I pray, redeem it. And I know that you will as we submit to you and trust God because someone has to trust God in order to, us be, to be set free. So we make a choice to trust you. 
I pray that you would minister to each and every one this morning, right where they're at, with love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit who brings strength, confidence, and lead us into that, that which you have for us, that we might be the people of God. God, we pray that we would not wander for another 40 years, but we will walk into what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.